Today on the Dolby Institute podcast, we are talking color, specifically with three of the top colorists working in film and television today, Tony D'Amore, Paul Westerbeck, and Frederick Bokenhauser, all senior colorists at Picture Shop here in Los Angeles. Our guest host is Tom Graham, the head of Dolby Vision Content Enablement, returning for the second installment of our ongoing series, Conversations with Colorists, where he discusses the nitty gritty of working as a professional colorist, especially for projects that deliver in Dolby Vision. I should also mention that if you are listening to this podcast on an audio only platform, you might wanna check on this particular episode on YouTube for some added visual elements. There's a link in the show notes. And hey, while you're there, feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Take it away, Tom. Welcome to a new episode of the Dolby Institute podcast for video folks. I'm excited to continue our Conversations with Colorists series, which we have deep dive conversations that aren't limited by time or format with working colorists on their experiences creating and storytelling in HDR and wide color gamut, as well as utilizing the Dolby Vision tools and workflows. So we hope that you find it entertaining, educational, and that there's a lot of useful knowledge for you, for colorists, producers, showrunners, and filmmakers. It's an exciting time in our industry with so many fantastic outlets for great content, and now new possibilities for immersive storytelling. And today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by three amazing A-list colorists from Picture Shop in Los Angeles. We'll start with Tony Diamore, who's Senior Colorist and Director of Creative Workflow. He's worked on shows like Mayans MC, Carnival Row, Fargo, Mrs. Davis on Peacock, and the Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage Marvel series. We also have Paul Westerbeck, senior colorist, working on CSI Vegas, Gotham, Pennyworth, Supergirl, and Doom Patrol. And then we have Freddie Bokenhauser, senior colorist, working on A Beautiful Life, Weathering, Archive 81, Toscana, and Black Summer Season 2. So guys, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having us, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great. I, I always enjoy um, meeting with you guys and the conversations we have. Um, tell us, uh, basically, start with what kind of uh, color correction system are you working on these days and maybe a recent or fun project that you're working on? Yeah, so I'm coloring on uh, Black Magic Resolve. Um, been with, with, before that I was with, you know, on a Da Vinci 888 and the Da Vinci, um, pretty much the 2k. So been with the, that from the beginning, um, current projects right now working on Fargo. Um, prior to that, we just wrapped Mrs. Davis and Mayans, Mayans MC. Yeah. Mrs. Davis is a wild show, Tony. I have to say that's got, it's gotta be a lot of fun to work on that one. Yeah, it was actually. The funny thing is I ended up on that project because as they were going through essentially early on in post, we'll say, they realized that it was a bigger fish and no pun intended if you actually seen the show, but uh, it's a bigger fish than they originally had thought and was really ambitious with visual effects, et cetera. So a big part of that project was really dialing in the visual effects and there was a lot of cooks on that one there's a lot of different looks too a lot of different scenarios right so it's pretty cool 
Paul, over to you. So I started on a Dubner back in the day at uh, AME and then um, worked my way up and got on a Dewey and then went and got on the uh, 888 um, and um, yeah, just worked my way up. And then when it came time to go nonlinear, I uh, checked everything out and ended up on a Nakoda, which I stayed on for, I don't know, God, 12 years or more. And I just switched back to Resolve. You know, the color tools work really well in, in the uh, Blackmagic. So I'm pretty happy with that. I'm fortunate to work with some top DPs because it just makes your life a lot easier. The creativity is just amazing. Lighting is great. Um, Doom Patrol, did Doom Patrol. That was a good show. Um, a lot of visual effects. Um, Dead Boy Detectives, another show. It's also very, very uh, intense visual effects work. And uh, yeah, so Dolby Vision on, on Doom and Dead Boy Detectives. It, it works pretty well um, having to deliver the uh, um, Rec. 709 version to go through Dolby Vision. I just like kind of like the way that, you know, the colors translate coming from HDR through Dolby Vision. We'll dig into that. That's a great, great topic. Cool. Hey, Freddie, give us a little bit of, of your uh, tool of choice and what you're working on. Yeah, I'm from uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, and started at 16 at my dad's post house, actually, and worked on the Valhall, um, a little bit on the Flame, uh, Symphony, DS Nitrous, back to Nokoda, which was what Valhall became, um, Scratch, a little bit of Luster, a <laughs> little bit of Baselight, and then ended up on Resolve as well, which I really, like, just love, and I think the the power behind the development of the system is just really, really strong. Like they, they really, really come up with some great features and I just, uh, it's, it's home now and that's where I live. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm into that. Uh, recent uh, projects going live is um, A Beautiful Life, which is a, actually a Danish feature uh, for Netflix, but on original Netflix production. So done in Dolby Vision. Um, Shot in Denmark beautifully by an American DP, um, Daniel Cotronio, who's a longtime collaborator. And then um, starting up a series called Hysteria. Um, but uh, we need this little strike to end before I can finish that. Um, but uh, yeah, um, just a joy, joy fest of creativity on these systems. You know, Freddie, I noticed you do quite a few shorts, and I was really interested in weathering. That's a really interesting look and um you know kind of thriller short story yeah i have always just really enjoyed the format and when i have the bandwidth to it i'm i love collaborating with with filmmakers on shorts it's a it's a dp uh, that i've worked with for many years uh pierre luigi malavasi uh he goes by gg italian fella who's just mega talented um and he came to me with it and was like hey can you can you can you do this this film and and it's just uh it's just beautiful we developed the the lot together and you know like with dolby vision in mind the entire time because it was for netflix as well um and you know it's it's we can dig into it more but it's one of those shows where dolby vision not going super bright, but really utilizing the the bandwidth in the in the shadows and 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 it was it it was pretty imperative to actually get that look having 
having dull division in, in mind. All right. So let's dive in. We'll start with um, holy cow HDR. You know, we've lived in this gamma rec 709 SDR world for a long time. And maybe, you know, Tony, you, you started pretty early on exploring this new format and gosh, darn it. If I don't think you actually got sunburned from a pulsar sitting in front of a pulsar for a year or two, right? Yeah, it was uh, a little bit of a shock. Um, like everyone, I've said this before, but like everyone who first works in HDR, I guarantee you your first pass, especially on a pulsar at 4,000 nits, um, your first pass is a throwaway pass. Like that's the pass that, you know, you have to just look at as the, the learning curve. Because, yeah, the first, at the time I was doing Marvel's Iron Fist, that was the first um, Dolby Vision show I did. It was officially Dolby Vision. And they came out of the gate saying that that series would be different. Everything you've done is so dark for us. We want, like, his story is, you know, has a glowing fist. And so they wanted it to be, um, you know, a bright series. So I took that quite literally and graded it very bright. And it was one of those things where you uh, normally see some colors would joke like, hey, you go to lunch and you come back and you're like, holy crap, that's what I colored. Me, it was like I finished the episode, got Marvel to sign off on it, then went back into the room with fresh eyes and was like, oh, my gosh, (laughs) like this is going to be too bright. So um, that said, you know, tamed it down. And like anything, it became, you know, really standard like standard operation for me, you know, gradient HDR um, to the point, like anything, like when we started in SDR, like, you know, my first thing was, you know, doing tape to tape, you know, I did two and a half men and big bang theory. We're like the two big sitcoms I did in the day and gradient rec 709 on a multi-cam show to now jumping forward and doing some pretty big streaming shows that are shot beautifully, very cinematic, and now can capture so much detail, so much more than ever before. Um, I would say the biggest drawback is probably having to then look back, even though the CMU does a great job of mapping, just knowing, like, seeing so much and so much detail and so much of that perceived higher contrast and higher resolution. Um, it's almost a shame, just like in the old days when we had to do um, when we were doing HD shows, and you'd see the uh, the four by three crop in SD. Yeah, and you'd see your SD feed, and it was like, oh my gosh, it's blurry, you know. And we're not in that world anymore, but uh, it's still it's it's like every new level of technology we get at our hands makes it that much harder to look back on what we used to do. So onward and upward. Paul, your bigger your impression of the bigger sandbox going from an SDR mindset into wider color gamut, you know, more dynamic range. Yeah, no, it is. It's pretty amazing. And one thing you have to keep in mind is you still want to help tell the story and, and carefully, you know, not like if somebody's standing in a kitchen and outside is, you know, a window that's really bright, you got to be careful not to just allow that to just blow out and, and just overpower the scene. So it's a lot of shaping, you know, a little bit more in that way. It's, you know, so you want to make sure that people aren't focusing on the window or the gardener outside. You got to get the actress who's standing in the kitchen, who's, who's speaking, you know, so you got to help, help to maintain that. Um, It is great, you know, how much more you can get in the shadows and, and things like that, you know, and, and still have great contrast, but then you have more depth. It's, uh, 
you know, and also like, you know, the, the, the detail in, in lights and stuff where it's just not a flat white, you know, you, you actually can see filaments and things where, you know, you're careful about that because you don't want to make that become the scene. You know, it's not about, you know, it's not an Edison show where you want to see the lights and wow, look how awesome. That's a sexy light bulb. You know, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's just an accent. So that, that's the challenge, you know, and some people tend to think, you know, I've, I've been in sessions where, you know, afterwards the, a technical person will come in from a studio and say, Oh, well, I think these, these highlights need to be hitting, you know, 10,000 nits or whatever. And it's like, you know, sometimes that's not, necessary you know so that that's the whole challenge is some people you know their their take on hdr is just how bright it can get but it's not it's just another tool and you know the, our job is just to help control you know tame the beast i guess i just think it's also a you know yes i understand if you're standing down at best buy and you're seeing all these bright tvs but like that's not like that's not the power of it it's the gamut and the and the range everywhere you know it the brightness thing is just like almost like hdr gone wrong that people talk about oh it can be so bright it's like yeah but it doesn't have to and you just have a bitter like everything is a bigger like um you know palette to work from so you it, you can control everything just more refined and I, I i really do like appreciate that i don't grade particularly bright and then like it's cool if there is a specular going off yes absolutely but in general i'm i'm my highlights are, are not much brighter in hdr than normal but i still really enjoy working in it because of the whole the whole gamut and the whole range and everywhere in the image i think you guys already beat me to my next question which is really hdr doesn't have to be defined by brighter pixels right it can be it can be defined by more contrast, but more depth in the shadows and storytelling, um, leveraging that. Um, so in terms of monitors, what, what monitor do you guys grade on? Are you thousand nit is the typical mastering monitor? The Sony X300 is why I'm using a thousand nits. Now granted, I'm not grading at a thousand nits. I find that the CMU mapping works better if you keep, if you can stay just below a thousand. Um, the translation is, you know, if you're at like 950 nits translates to about a hundred IRE in Rec 109. So my point being, if you stay at below 950, then you're actually going to avoid clipping in Rec 109. So you can maintain the highlight detail in HDR there, and then also maintain, as long as it was captured in camera, of course. You can maintain the uh, Rec 709 highlight detail as well. If you go above that or clip to above a thousand, then that's where I found that uh, you're also clipping in Rec 709, which often, I mean, I've had DPs that said like, hey, I don't want to see detail there. I don't know if I've ever hit 950. <laughs> and I've talked about this. Like, he's like, man, your highlights are really bright on this show. And some shows, they really want that, like high key. That show, not to go off topic here, but. Miss Davis was a show about AI and they want it to be bigger than reality. So the look for that show was a little outside of my usual dark uh, drama uh, series I do. And it was like so bright. And in that case, it was, which we can get, you know, maybe a separate subject, but was, we really yeah. use HDR for storytelling in that case. Yeah. It's, it's definitely kind of a larger than life storyline, right? It's, it's almost, I don't want to say cartoony or comic book, but it has a, there's Tony, there's some, 
there's some titles in there that are full screen white. So I don't know yeah. what those hit. I'm on an X310 right now because the X300s are hard to come by anymore. And uh, yeah, you turn them off and turn them on. Sometimes they don't like that. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to be a little careful with the, um, you know, the angle on an X310, a little more than X300, but color's good. And it's a thousand nit. X300 as well. I'm lucky to have one of those that's still alive. And I do utilize the um, the LGs as well. Um, for a beautiful eye, for instance, the director was like, I trust you with the SDR pass. I want to I wanna get the experience of, of Dolby Vision. So I had the 600 nit uh, or the experience of like HDR. So I had the 600 nit pass up for him, him on the client monitor. And it like, I mean, it's it, it worked really well. Um, and he was happy and, you know, then I check, I checked that trim, uh, <laughs> in the same swoop. So that was good. Now, speaking of monitors, this may be getting a little bit ahead of the story, but do you guys prefer an HDR and an SDR monitor for doing, you know, a dual monitor for doing the CMU mapping, or do you like to work on a single monitor and just toggle? I like using two personally, because it does help you to make sure that your representation is the same. You know, it's like, sure, your highlights aren't going to be the same, but overall, it, it just seems to help. And then, you know, once I've kind of gone through it, then I'll quit looking at them both, you know, and just kind of treat it as an individual thing. But, you know, when I do my first pass, I like to have them both up. I've learned that's a gotcha doing that because I've always graded the same way as Paul there and I think Freddie as well. But the thing is, I found later was, well, quick story. As I sent out, I did simultaneous for Marvel. I was doing simul all the time. And I always just had the two up. And I rarely watched one without the other. And I sent this out to DP and he calls me. He goes, hey, man. And he was only watching the SDR. Even though he sent both renders, he watched just the one. And he goes, hey, man, everything looks like a sitcom to me. And I go, what? And I'm like, I'm looking at it here. And no, not at all. It looks great. And I said, maybe there's an issue with file, et cetera, et cetera. So then I reach over and I turn off that. This is back in the Pulsar days. I turn off the Pulsar. <laughs> it was like four stops of fill came in out of nowhere. So I did find that that's been a, a little bit of the, the caveat to doing the two monitors is you have to, at some point, like Paul mentioned, do that, you know, one without, one without the other pass. And I found my normal workflow is do dual monitors per scene depending on how much of my timeline, how much time I have to spend that day, I will sometimes actually flip my HDR display to, to Rec 709 and actually watch each scene down in Rec 709 without the HDR and then fine tuning there and then going back to the HDR and just kind of doing a balance. And it sounds like redundant and like a lot of steps, but it really isn't. It only takes a couple extra minutes. And if I do that for every scene, I found that my, my end product when I'm doing my final just SDR pass, shouldn't take long at all. I mean, maybe a couple hours maximum. It's certainly an interesting topic, Freddie. I'm dying to hear your idea on this because it that HDR, there is so much dynamic range. It can be brighter. And so having that SDR on at the same time can affect your judgment on that, right? Yeah, and it's not just for brightness either. It's kind of like, I mean... An example, I did the first ever non-scripted show for Netflix, and it was a, a firefighting show, and they had these yellow uniforms on, and I was like, loved how it looked. And I did the, like, you know, my first 
HCR show many years ago, and 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 it was like, no, you do this first, then you switch over, and I was like, those yellows don't look the same, and I was like trying every trick in the book, only to find out I literally pulled up like the color gamut, and I was like, oh, it's outside a, <laughs> it's outside a gamut, and you know, so a lot of times when I'm working, if there's some colors that are like these are not the same. You can like, it's a small tweak, but like it like clicks in when it's in gamut and like that way you can like, they really do match, you know? And I, so I, that's why I love having both on. And with that being said, my last pass normally is also like SDR on everywhere, you know, and do this. So like do the, do the trim that way. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's like otherwise you can trim and trim and trim and try. But if it's not in gamut, it's not in gamut. And I was, you know, it was my first time. I was like, why is this not? Why is this not looking right? And you know, um, it's just a little tweak, little hue, and then like pops right in. And were you using the secondaries for the Dolby Vision trims for that to dial in the hue and saturation? This was two nine, so it didn't have that. Um, so it was like, you know. Sometimes you can zoom in on something and trim and like analyze a frame and there's you know there there are tricks but it just none of it like worked and it was like I really don't understand this till I like it was just like oh my of course it's just right outside. <laughs> I think the big tip there from all of you is it's definitely okay to work in dual monitor but at some point turn off the HDR and just focus in on the SDR by itself and. I'm curious, do you guys do like a a palette cleanser where maybe you go to lunch and then do that, come back separately to give the SDR more of a fresh view? I I find that I don't have to do that because I have a backlight. It's proper proper white, you know, and um, I've always had that. And, you know, back in the day when I didn't have that, I'd get up, like Tony's saying, walk out of the room, go to dinner or whatever come back and go, holy shit, what did I do? You know, because everything's magenta or everything's green or whatever, because your eye can get drained to go that way. But having having a reference in the background is super important. And I find that I don't end up drifting. Um, you know, something you could do for somebody who, you know, finds that is have some frames that even if they're not related to the show you're working on, that you can switch over to and kind of look at them and go, Okay. And then go back, you know, and it just kind of helps pull you back into reality. But yeah, I, I haven't had that problem for a long time, but you know, I'm getting old. So <laughs> probably one of those things. I don't need the, the Solbe uh, palette cleanser. I'm okay. Looking <laughs> right over. I'm the same way. It's like, you know, you, at some point going back to, to SDR grading, you know, in Rec 709 and, and doing telecine is, Daily's colors are used to, oh yeah, preserve the highlight and shadow detail. And when you're doing the final grade or the tape to tape back in those days, at least I would, my rule of thumb was, all right, well, there's no way these DPs can capture that much, that many stops of latitude. So I know where his dynamic range is. I can guess at that. So I would just go back to, if they wanted a crush look, I'd crush the blacks a little bit or else just leave them on the line. And then I'd push the highlights up to the maximum before they clip. And that was like how I set contrast. You cannot grade HDR that way because if you try and push those highlights right up to clip because you you have a few more stops of latitude there, you're forcing higher contrast images out of what your DP shot. So 
basically need to kind of go and this is what like paul and freddie were saying like either they don't need the palate cleanser because we've done this a while and so you kind of have a sensibility of like where ratios should be you know um so if i were to give anyone any advice on that i think the best advice what paul said is call up a frame that you know that your client likes and pull that up occasionally as kind of like uh the the bumpers in the lanes like in in bowling <laughs> they have the lanes to keep your ball in the lane like that kind of thing like use that and then you can see if you're you're going to go outside of uh creative tastefulness this is great now i know you guys all work on the 31 inch hdr monitors and your matching sdr realm how about the client viewing monitor that's like some sort of calibrated consumer larger panel yeah, it's a, it's an LG. Um, you know, we have some. I guess are they the G series? Like the G is the best. The gallery. Some of them are. We have C's, C ones. Um, I think we may still have some ten series around. But you know, the LG is really great. You know, the LG works really well. You know, it's it's I, what I see at home matches what I do here. It's a very good. We had a great monitor guy, Bob Wilson. And uh, who retired sadly, yeah, recently retired. Yeah, literally, shout, the other day. shout out to Bob, he's shout amazing. out to Bob, yeah, Bob's <laughs> the best. And we use Calman as well, so that was using the right calibration tools. And then, like Paul is saying, that's a great monitor. These LGs are like tried and true. I mean, yeah. before I came to Picture Shop, I wasn't using the LG, and when I came here and they showed me my calibrated X300, and then uh, Paul was like, you got to trust Bob. He's great at what he does. And I came in and let him do it. I mean, occasionally, you know, he's an engineer. And so obviously the colorist eye comes into play at some point. But if I would just tell him like, Hey, it's a tiny bit cyan, he'd be like low light or highlight. And I would tell him and he'd be like, hold on a second, tweak, tweak. And man, it would literally look, I mean, these monitors are only a few thousand and an X 300 is like 30,000 he got them looking pretty damn close. So it's, it's a testament to the technology and, and his, his skill set. They're all a little different too. Um, I have, think I have one of the 10 series because it just, it, my 55 inch here, it looks incredible. It's never drifted. Some of them drift a lot. And like, I was just like, Bob, whatever you did to this, let's just never touch it. And it really has stayed true. Up here, I have close to me, I have a 48 inch because I thought the 55 was too big. Um, and we've gone through four or five. And the one we landed on now is just perfect. I don't remember the number. It's <laughs> I, I'm like the shoemakers uh, kids have al always have holding their shoes. That's like me. I don't remember numbers like that, but it's looks banging. So that's uh, um, but it, it's a 48 inch. And, and again, for clients, if they want the larger, I feel putting it into the HDR mode and uh, and with the 600 nit trim, they look great. Freddie, you jumped right on like a fish on the hook for my next question, which is, so what do you put up on those displays? Do you put up SDR, HDR with some sort of roll-off LUT, or do you use the CMU mapping? What's the philosophy there? Freddie, start with you. I'd say that's up to the client. Um, sometimes they are cool with you running the HDR and the, the X300, and then they want to see the, the, the trim and they can go like kind of go back and forth. Some clients don't like that. They want to see the same on every monitor. It's really it's really up to what the client wants. Uh, but when I have HDR, I use the 600 nit pass and it's, I mean, it's spot on. Um, I, um, 
I really, I really, I really actually like running it because then you've checked that pass at the same time. Um, so um, I feel it's a step that a lot of colorists probably miss, um, which I feel like has created some problems on certain shows. What Freddie just said essentially is once you've done the 100 nit SDR anchor trim in Dolby Vision and you want the client to review, quote unquote, the HDR consumer experience, switching the CMU target to 600 nits allows you to then map within the range that that TV could handle. And it also, as you were saying, Freddie, it allows you to confirm any additional tweaks you might want to make to the target at 600 nits, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Tony, what is your thoughts on how you would leverage this consumer panel in the color suite? I wish I could tell you that I, I do, you know, all the checks and balances. Um, a lot of times, honestly, I look at the thousand nit as the mastering display and that's the, as long as I'm safe there and Dolby hasn't led me wrong yet. Um, it generally tracks pretty well to the others. Um, you might remember back to when we was doing Carver Row, we did a demo for Amazon with that exact model, um, showing the 600 nit is, you know, is the target and, and things track really well as far as mapping goes. Um, that said, I don't think it's a bad practice at all. I think it's actually a really smart practice. I just don't do it. Um, I generally do the HDR, SDR. I show them one and the other. Um, at any point, I have done it. It's not like I don't do it. I've done it. I just generally a lot of times when the clients come in, it's like time is money, and I'm showing them what they have to sign off on. It could be either SDR or HDR on that big screen. Yeah, I generally show them like simultaneous one, and the benefit to the X300 at the time, I was like, oh, this thing's so small, especially compared to the giant Pulsar. Um, but it's kind of good that it's small because the these uh, LGs we have, I mean, I have like a 60-inch monitor in here, so... You put that monitor up, and then there's another identical one in the back of the room, like kind of a like a lounge setup in here. And so it's like the lounge area has this monitor, and then the grading suite area has a monitor. And those two are the same. And those being SDR and being as large as they are, they come off brighter than the HDR is really. So, so the HDR display no longer is a distraction. So I can pull off doing that simultaneous playback. And when they walk in the room, I just say, hey, up front here is the Sony X300. That's your HDR master. And then the other two displays are SDR. Um, if at any point you want to be wowed by some additional highlight detail or some beautiful skies, take a look at the front one here. And so what I find is while we're reviewing, when we have a scene that's like spectacular, like a beauty scene or a big, wide, you know, gorgeous sunset scene, I watch all the heads shift and look over at the X300 and they're like, wow, that does look pretty good. But for the most part, everyone's attention is really focused on the SDR at that, in this stage. In a lot of ways, they look at it like, oh yeah, the, S the HDR at some point has to be done. It's like a, it's funny with, with new technology, always gets a lot of attention. And everyone right away at first was like, HDR, HDR, we want to do, we want to see HDR as a new buzzword in Hollywood. And now it's almost become, and kind of back to what we were talking about, like the learning curve, like grading things bright, et cetera. If you look at my SDR pass on most projects, because occasionally there is one, like I said, that we kind of push the boundaries. But in most projects, like we're doing Fargo now, if you look at Fargo on my HDR display, other than a little extra highlight latitude, it doesn't look that much different than the, than the SDR. And in my opinion, 
if you're looking at the two monitors up next to each other and they look different, you're probably doing something wrong. Because unless there's something really bright in the frame, like a flame or a candle or a headlight or something, one shouldn't be that much different or brighter than the other one, really, other than a little extra shadow detail and a little extra highlight detail in the HDR. In my suite, you know, I, I do the same thing. I'll have the HDR up on the X310, and then I have an EP950 that can do either, right, the 600 nit or um, Rec 709. That's that's another LG. And then I have the um, C1, I think it is, in the back. And in that one, I, I only do SDR. I, that's the only thing I feed in there. Probably more because I haven't taken the time like Freddie to really make sure it's dialed in for HDR. And I know it can be done, but I just haven't taken the time. I tried it in the beginning early on and it was just different. And, you know, and I don't know what it was, just gave up. And, and I, I heard Freddie had his dialed in and Bob was like, yeah, Freddie's is really dialed in. But I just never really took the time. I don't know how he did it. It's all Bob's fault. Like it looked killer. So I'm like, dude, this is great. I can run this. Sounds like we need to spend some more time with Freddie is what I think it sounds like. <laughs> Yeah. That's what most people say. <laughs> yeah. So same thing. Clients will look at, at the HDR in the front. And uh, that becomes a little bit of a challenge with the off angle. Mm. So normally, like when I have a DP sitting next to me or an executive producer or something, I will shift the monitor and split the difference on the off angle. And it actually works out really well. But uh, I think the X300 is better in that area. It's The angle is a little wider. You guys have sort of designed a workflow that is maybe a bit unique in that, as we've talked about, you are very comfortable working in HDR and the mapped SDR simultaneously using Dolby Vision, but you also sort of have a recipe on how to do that. And I'm just curious if you could maybe talk about, you know, planning HDR, SDR with the creatives and then we'll dive in on the next round. We'll dive in more on your your workflow with sort of a starting point trim and analyzing, et cetera. But talk about, I guess, working in this world of HDR first and then getting creative through the knothole of generating looks and things like that. If we take weathering as an example, like we know this is for Netflix, we know what camera we're using, we shot a test. Um, in this process, I'm SDR all the way. But we also, obviously, if you sit at home, you won't have this firepower. We have some really deep color, color scientists working here. So we have lots that we can switch out. I never color manage anything. I don't use ACES or DaVinci color management. I like to lot manage and like um, work that way. So I know that the lot package I have from our color scientists, when I switch out the very last note to the HDR and obviously I check that, but with the DP I'm sitting here, just all creativity, all like you know, SDR at that point, like in an environment he completely knows. We knew we wanted to look super filmic, and then like I double check, okay, does this translation work? So when we come to grade, I you know put up the dailies, put a you know a, a conversion lot on that to to uh, you know to fit so it doesn't look crazy when I switch back and forth. And then like, we're there, like we're very close to what they've been seeing all along. And, and, and that way, like I have like, we already have the conversion down and then like, they're all 
you know, happy with what they see because it's not like shifting wildly. And that's, that's, I think I can't speak for everybody. I think all of our workflow is like, we know how like it will translate, but obviously that, that it's, it's not the, the, the people in a garage somewhere, unfortunately can't, you don't have that firepower that we're lucky to have. Yeah. We're fortunate. Um, we've got Chris Kuchka and Josh Pines who I lean on heavily every time I'm going to start a project and I get LUTs from them. And just like Freddie said, you know, I have LUTs that'll take it to 709, to HDR, whatever. And, um, you know, every show we do, we will work with them and they'll provide a LUT based on the camera. And, you know, so in my case, you know, we'll have that LUT as say the show LUT and then they'll do CDLs also. And then they'll provide them and I'll have them if I want to use them. And most of the time I'm lucky because, you know, we've got some great people that work on these shows that I've been doing uh, that it all just works out. And so I'm able to have a starting point that they have given us. So it really helps the collaboration with the DP because he's confident that what I'm getting is what he's doing. And it's like I'm not reinventing the wheel, you know, on each show. It's like we're starting from where he wants to be and then you know, it, we can enhance from there. And so, yeah, it's similar to Freddie. I'm not using Resolve Color Management. I haven't had to do a show on Asus. Same for you, Tony, in terms of... Um, yeah, similar. I, I'm a little less... I don't like trusting LUTs very much. I like creating them, but don't like using like a LUT unless it's I've made it, in a sense. So... Like they were saying, I don't really like using the Resolve Color Management to do anything. Um, we have some really great um, color people here at Picture Shop that you pretty much give them anything and tell them what you need it to end up like, and they can get it. Um, that said, I've found that on shows that have heavier looks, like I have a look that I send out, if I don't create the look in HDR and then flip that to Rec. 709 or SDR, for the DP, you can get a little bit in the weeds. And like Freddie says, he has work, his workflow, Paul has his, and these are all valid ways to, to manage that. What I personally do is I'll grade the look in HDR here. And then when I like it, I don't always have to do that with the DP. Like generally I get the notes on what the look they want to be, and then they may come in or I'll figure out a way to get them a file to look at. I come up with that, but then anytime I send them anything, I'm then flipping myself, I flip that to SDR. So that they're always just seeing SDR, but then I'm confident when the look comes back, like the show's locked, I have a picture, and we're doing the first pass on the show, there's no surprises. Because with the wider color gamut, you can get into the weeds pretty quickly with HDR. It could be something that you thought you want to do super teal shadows and super amber highlights, which is the popular flavor nowadays. And you've done this the whole time in SDR, and then you go to use your HDR build, and suddenly using that as a look base, because the gamut is so much wider and colors like red and teals become much stronger in HDR in the wider color gamut, you now have a look that's just different. And you have much stronger look, essentially, in, a, in HDR. So that's why I found it better if I just start in HDR then what that derived, the SDR LUT derived from the HDR, in a way it's like a Dolby Vision workflow. Um, working in HDR and then just showing the client the SDR, I've found that tracks really well for me. 
and all of you, when then you you get the creative in the suite for the first time, you know, your DP, whoever, showrunner, it's not a shock to them in terms of the look going with the HDR first, right? It 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 goes pretty smoothly from there. That was the example when the Beautiful Life. I've done several projects in HDR with this director, and he's like. I know your trims. I know like when what I see there looks the same everywhere. So I just want the experience of HDR when I sit with you. Um, you know, it's like you you got this. <laughs> so um, that and I understand once you see it here, you want like the you want the 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 wow factor of that. And you know, I think that's really interesting. Is when you have somebody who's comfortable and done several shows in HDR. They're much more comfortable being that was is the working point because they can see the detail in the clouds, the blue in the sky. They understand it's the bigger p- palette to paint your picture with, right? And they want to see that experience. Sorry, you're talking about DPs viewing in HDR, or yeah, sorry, just in other words, you get yeah. you get the person in the suite, and they've been doing SDR, and now there's first path with you. You know, it's not a shock that they see HDR. Then, yeah, it's always a mix. Because you get the ones like Freddie was saying that embrace the technology and like, wow, why wouldn't I look at that? It's better. Like, let's look at that. I have had DPs that get a little too um, the shiny object in the room and they get distracted. So I've actually had it try to deviate from my usual workflow and I'll actually flip both displays just to SDR. That's so interesting. So it's really as part of a colorist, it's your it's your world that you have to manage whatever the cards you've been dealt and. In some cases, it may be somebody wants to be really comfortable in HDR. Somebody really only wants to be comfortable in SDR. And you've got to manage both of those simultaneously. And that's exactly, that's the word is managing. Right. You're just, you're just guiding them, really. You're not managing, you're guiding them. You're, you're, you're helping them out in the room, you know, to make them feel comfortable with what they're seeing. Most of the time when they come in, um, what I experience is people are like, wow, you know, this is much clearer because, you know, they're used to looking at the offline or, or looking at dailies and, and, you know, it's all compressed. So most of the time it's it's more that than, you know, I, I think most of the people I work with have been through this a lot. And so they they aren't surprised when they come in. They're just they're just happy to see that their images are sharp. You know what I mean? Because they've been looking at this fuzzy image. Or they want to see less pores in the skin or stuff like that, too. It's like, can we help this a little bit? Oh, that's true. Now, yeah, now they're seeing all the beauty that needs to be corrected. I've often found myself um, having, t- um, which I find a very useful tool, is is just going through the process because technology, it makes sure you're on set and you're not looking in HDR and then you come in here and now there's something new. Um, I try to just explain it out. And some of the worst um, practices, we'll call it, I've seen in this industry has been people dumbing down the HDR because a DP who comes in the room and says they don't like highlights. So they put their highlights at 200 nits. And then now they've basically graded SDR on an HDR display. And I don't care if you're doing HDR 10 dual pass. If you start with a master that's got such low contrast, the CMU is going to see that and be like, what do you want to do here? And it's going to give you a pretty flat, muddy picture. So, that's why when I start a project and somebody comes in for that first HDR pass, I sit them down and just explain the technology. And and I usually ask, have you done the HDR show before? Have you done Dolby Vision? 
you know, what's your experience, get to know them a little bit if I haven't worked with them before, that is. And then once that happens, say, okay, this is how it goes. We do this HDR pass. It's a wider color gamut. You capture more colors. You capture more dynamic range. It's going to be more than you're used to seeing. So if that bothers you, look at this display here. And I show them that. And I explain that one is derived from the other. And if I take the HDR and I make it look all flat and soft the way you want to see it, that's going to track down your your SDR. And there is always the whole, I don't, I don't know why would you want to do Dolby Vision then? Because I can do HDR 10 and I don't have to deal with that. I can just grade one and then grade the other to my liking. And my answer to that is, then you have two reviews. Here we are now and you can see like what your master is and what ones derive from the other one. And generally I found that after we do that and we look at it a while together, that, um, they end up seeing the benefits of grading and just doing the full. And if we get to the point where they're just not happy, the, bo the bottom line is they're the creatives. They're the ones that have been involved. They're the ones who are in that first table read. I wasn't. And whatever product they want, we do. But at least want them to be aware of what the technology is doing and why it looks that way. But, I mean, sometimes you are kind of stuck, you know, between a rock and a hard place. But, like, for the most part, like, I tend to be, like, very much – like Tony on the show side, because sometimes when the people come in to the room with us, they have been, it's four or five, 10 years in the making. And we're there for the last X amount of hours. And it's my finest role to make them leave the bay and be happy with that product. I wasn't there sweating, like eating uh, spaghetti with ketchup for years, trying to get this thing off the ground. So whatever vision they have, I will always have my opinions and show them options, but like they need to leave really happy with their project. And that's like, I think that's my finest, like, you know, role in this. Like they, like, this is how I envisioned it 10 years ago when I sat down. And sometimes also it's like, hey, I envisioned this. I'm like, that's really cool. I read the script and I saw this and they would be like, wow, I never thought of it. And we leave with something where all of us came to a different place and it ended in a place where it's like, wow, we, none of us really imagined it, this, you know, it's obviously is when, when everything goes into like a, you know, a bigger, bigger place. Let's dive in a little bit then about the, the workflow in navigating that, which is um, you guys, Correct me if I'm wrong, but all of you generally um, sort of live in both worlds simultaneously where you you are grading the HDR, you're running the Dolby Vision analysis as you're working on a scene, and you have some basic rough trims that you put in that allow you to see SDR mapping simultaneously. Yeah, I do have some trims that I'll put in like as a, a starting point. And, you know, I usually bring my blacks up to like 0.23 or something because I don't want to go too, over 0.25 or 0 0.25, right? 0 0.025. And then I open my gamma up a bit and I'll bring the highlights down a little bit. And then I'll just, you know, that'll be my starting correction. And I'll kind of run through the thing and I'll analyze the whole show. And then I I tend to reanalyze a little more than I think a lot of people do because I'll find if I go in and retrim a scene, you know, I, I want to make sure, 
you know, I haven't gone too far and my old analysis is now stale as it were. And uh, I'll do that. But then like, I think you, you guys will agree with this once in a while, you'll have a scene where you're doing like some, you know, you have like three people in a shot and there's a window and, and now they tighten up a little bit and the window's out. And so then the analysis is totally different. And so now all of a sudden your shot will be dark or it'll get bright depending on what happens. So in that case, you'll end up like stealing the analysis from, you know, a common shot. Um, so I find I do that a lot just because I don't want to fight, you know, my analysis is now affecting my trim. And I think that's why it's key to watch the SDR on its own at some point, like we all do, because that's why it's bad advice to like, I don't like seeing it where I have colors. I've heard that we have done just HDR. That's all they care about. I believe that that SDR pass, even if, I mean, keeping in mind, like Freddie's, you know, scenario where he's looking at the 600 nit pass, nobody's seeing that thousand nit pass. <laughs> that's a mastering pass that gets archived. The, what Seal is seeing is the other knit level. So if you're allowing a colorist with less experience the trust to do that part of the job, I would almost be inclined to have the less experienced colorist do the HDR pass and then the one with experience go through and make sure that the Dolby pass is, is optimized. And I mean, it's important for me to say once I've ended the review with whoever wants to see the 600 nit pass, I watch it down in 100 nits on my own and make sure it's tight. You know, I'm not just like going, okay, cool, that's 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 done. So it's it's more for just like that experience, you know. So I'm just gonna loop back to Paul just for a second. So you you prefer to complete the entire HDR grade of the entire show and then go in and start with just the basic analysis and a basic set of trims. Right. And then I'll do the dual monitor and then I'll run through and make sure, you know, everything's good. And there will be times where I'll look at the SDR and go, wait a minute, maybe I do need to change the HDR. And then I will go and make some trims. It's not all the time. You kind of get the idea of where things fall, but you know, it does happen. So that's where, you know, maybe in Tony's scenario, who knows which is faster doing it scene by scene or running through the whole thing. I don't know, but I tend to like to just go through and get it done. And I'll, I'll tell you though, honestly, I've, even though I make it seem like, oh yeah, there's this one scene at a time. Here's the thing. I've done this a while now. I've, I've come to trust the process of the, the mapping for, from Dolby to where I kind of know where it's going to look good, where the HDR is going to track. Like I said earlier, if I keep it like below a thousand nits, and I'm not crushing anything or doing anything too weird. Um, once I analyze, it maps pretty damn close. So I could generally like grade a scene in HDR and then do a quick analysis, check out the SDR, run through, maybe make some tweaks. But for the most part, that first grade, that HDR grade is my master grade. So in a way, I'm kind of doing what Paul's doing. I just sort of pause for a sec and check as I go. Um, it's kind of six, one, half a dozen, another, really, because the bottom line is we're both checking our H, our SDR. It's just at what point are you doing it, you're right? You're getting through a scene and you go back and do it. And with me, I'm going through the whole thing. I mean, Paul's done this for many, many years. I mean, Paul's done this as long as I have, if not longer. And it's something that with experience comes, you know, confidence, you know, so he can go through a whole HDR show and not worry about mapping it because most likely it's going to be totally fine in the end. What I don't recommend is somebody without experience trying to grade a whole project with a director or DP top to bottom in HDR blasting, you know, 
blasting it or making it flat for that matter. You got somebody in there who's like, oh, hey, like I was saying earlier, oh, I hate the highlights, hammer them down. Now you've just mucked up your whole HDR grade and it's not until after you analyze the whole thing to realize that you've made a huge mistake. And then you have to call a DP back and bring him in and explain why you're going to have to regrade because the mapping isn't going to work. So much better advice unless you're really experienced. I highly recommend at least in the first, you know, if you have the DP in with you when you're setting those looks, do a couple scenes, analyze, show them both. Make sure you guys are fully committed to that look before you do a whole project because you're just going to find that either you get lucky and they love it or maybe they don't know. I mean, this is a lot of technology. This is something that we all take for granted is that we see, I do this for a living. I grade, I come in the morning, I start coloring when the height busy times of the season, when there isn't a strike happening, it might be that I'm here 12 hours a day. I'm doing this day in and day out for many years as the DP has been on set lighting day in and day out, working their ass off in the trenches doing their job. So when they come in here, I think we have to understand that this is what I'm an expert at. That's what he's an expert at. So that's why we have to be careful that allowing, even though there is that creative process, it's a really slippery slope because you have to, and I only say this in the, in the HDR, SDR, Dolby Vision world, until everyone fully understands the technology, you just have to be careful allowing the creative ambitions of the project to outweigh protecting yourself technically, I guess. Just to sort of summarize then a, maybe a, a, a mini version of that is you do recommend maybe taking off smaller bite-sized chunks of maybe just a scene or two in HDR and then running the analysis and looking at the SDR results um, and then making any tweaks before you get too far down the road. In the case of Paul, again, a lot of his clients that he's mentioning, like you said, He's worked with for many years. They have a shorthand already, but I do get nervous when you have a new DP that you haven't worked with and they come in the room, you want to impress them. You want to show them what you can do. You want to, you know, then you're hearing their vision and they can quickly get in the weeds with your HDR grade. If you're not like being conscious of, you know, the back end. Yeah. And I think the, the final point I forgot to add, Tony, was exactly what you said is both of you have tremendous amount of years of experience under your belt knowing how the HDR and the SDR are going to blend and live together. I too have many years of experience, but uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I, don't, I mean, I, I do the same thing as Tony. I, I tend to grade a scene, analyze, double check that we're good, move on to the next scene. So, I mean, I, I do like working pretty linear, but I just like stop and trim. It's also good while it analyzes, you can grab another cup of coffee or whatever, like, um, so I just, I, I kind of do that simultaneously. And then I actually, unlike Tony, I do save with, uh, the trims in there. So when you find a similar scene and, a, and use the still, it will have that information. You just need to like reanalyze and you should be pretty close. So, um, for similar shots, obviously. Um, so like, I, I mean, I, that's, I find that's great but and you know and then i normally like will reanalyze again anyways um if there's vfx drop in so you know the many things happen you know so um that's kind of that's kind of my workflow and i do steal like paul said i think it's a it can be really 
useful to steal an, uh, an analysis. Uh, I wouldn't recommend just stealing it for, um, you know, but if there's a shot, you go like, wow, they took a window out and the VFX or whatever. Here we go. And it will fall back. Paul's example was perfect in the sense that you have a wide shot of all the actors and the bright windows in there and you push in and you don't have the window. The balance is going to be different. And so stealing L1 from one or the other the analysis is probably not a bad move. It's going to speed up your going. But but I have heard all of you say categorically that basically what Paul said, if you are changing the HDR pixels enough, you do reanalyze um, in, as a general practice. So as you're tweaking the HDR, you are constantly updating the analysis unless you've purposely copied it from somewhere else to fix a certain thing. Right. And that's the rub. You got to really be careful because, okay, did I do that on this shot? You know, so you got to be really mindful and try to keep track and uh, of doing that because it doesn't show you, hey, you stole the analysis from the next, the last shot. So you got to be super careful with that. But yeah, it's uh, it's a valuable tool. Yeah, it's like, the, you know, they say their job has to be color memory. You know, it was always like, oh yeah, where was I in that shot? And, and, um, and that is a big part of this role is having a good sense of color memory. But I found with with this technology is also having a little bit of a memory of like what you did workflow wise. Like, did I have a challenge? Oh, yeah, there's that scene where we pushed in and the window is out and my analysis is different for that shot on L1. Nobody knows the project like the mastering colorist. So, you know, when you go through that, you kind of, you know, it makes you really nervous also when I hear people say, Oh, something happened. We had a reconform and the assist reanalyzed the whole show for me. You'd lose all those shots that you did, uh, copied the analysis, the color would be wrong on. And and that's the thing. It's like when my name's on the show, I don't let anybody do any of that stuff. It's like, it's all, it's my name. Because if somebody screws up your SDR because of what Tony just said, now now your work is screwed and it looks like you botched it. Would you guys say that you're happy with a derived Dolby Vision SDR? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. I think one thing that's great is if you take and use like a color managed conversion from HDR to SDR, um, it just doesn't come out as good as it does doing it with Dolby Vision. The color is is more true. Um, it's just, you know, the highlights roll off a little better. I, I I don't know. It's it's really nice, actually, the way it does it. Yeah, I've tested just grading a shot on its own in SDR and then done the Dolby process and allow the CMU to do it. And actually, what I'm having to do is do like a, I would literally have to add a highlight key to the SDR on the test, you know, the separate SDR grade where the CMU actually maps those highlights on their own. So it saves you in some ways it actually will save you a step because it does a better job at, at maintaining that dynamic range on the CMU for the SDR grade than you just trying to do it on your own. So that's that's really one of the benefits, I think, the biggest benefits of grading in Dolby Vision. You know, some people, here's the thing, over the years, there's been a lot of new technology and every one of them, I mean, I'm like I said, not to totally date myself, but if you go on like Paul was saying, the Dubner days, you know, like, there was a time where, you know, you're just grading and all you had to worry about was the simplistic, simplistic process of just, you know, coming up with an image. And then as the years go by, it's like more and more you get into, you know, the complexities of doing our job. You know, it's, it's not as simple as just doing a grade and hitting a button. 
And if you're treating it like that, then you're probably doing something wrong. It's a matter of really understanding what you're doing, understanding what the CMU is doing. And then once you understand that, it's actually really easy. And in the end, your product ends up being better than it ever was. Until you understand it, and if you're just jumping into doing double vision for the first time, you might have some challenges. And I've had a, I've heard colorists say like, hey, I'm giving up on it, or it just didn't work for me, or they have gripes about shots throughout a scene not matching anymore when they did on the HDR grade. It just means you have to learn the process a little bit more and kind of go with those pitfalls and, and learn to adapt to that. Because I've found, honestly, that my SDR grade is as tight as ever doing it this way than it was in the old days when that's all we had was SDR. Would that hold true, Tony? If let's say you had to only deliver an HDR 10 project, but you also needed an SDR deliverable, would you still want to use the Dolby Vision tools in, in that case? A hundred percent. Because, I mean, I've been there. I mean, before Dolby Vision, I was doing HDR 10. And I had to do is I created like a custom LUT, like I was saying earlier, I don't always trust just slapping a LUT out. So I, I had a LUT I created myself that did a pretty good job of, of maintaining. What I'll tell you, it happened though, was that process, I lost like a stop or two of highlight detail in general. Depending on, you know, how dynamic the look of the show was, if it was a flatter look, of course, the, the challenge wasn't as much. But if it was a pretty dynamic looking show, it was poppy images, Generally, the even the whatever the HDR10 pipeline where you're creating a 600 nit average grade where it does the lowest and the brightest and finds that average 600 nit, um, you're losing something, you know. So I find it even if it's not even a Dolby Vision show, finding using the Dolby mapping tools to create that SDR is beneficial to the project. Ditto. I, I'm, I'm almost at the point where, you know, even if it is just an SDR deliverable, I would start it in, in HDR and do Dolby Vision because I really like how it derives. Um, there is some time issues to that, you know, so we can't quite do it yet, but it's, it's, I really like the end result. And I know one of the, um, one of the new things is the cinema trim and we use that for um, a beautiful life. And like, unfortunately I couldn't fly to the premiere in Denmark, but like reports back from DP and director was just like, dude, spot on. I mean, obviously I looked at it here, but like um, in LA, but like they were sitting there at like a, you know, a 1200 uh, seat theater in Copenhagen and everybody was just like blown away and like, they're like, this looks exactly the same, which is a really awesome, like, really awesome extra tool because that was that was a little bit of a of an issue like prior to having that, and I'm I'm loving it. Thank you, Dolby, for <laughs> making our lives easier. You guys are working basically on an X three hundred million to one contrast ratio. You've got to deliver a DCI cinema version that's maybe. 1500 to one, maybe 2001, if it's a decent bulb, something like that, right? So this, just like we have the home mapping to SDR Rec 709, you could do the cinema trims, basically taking that analysis and then trim and render out a deliverable. And you're saying that worked really well. Super impressed. Yeah, it was great. 
Yeah, I've seen it. We did we did it like more of a test when it it works great for a lot of premiere show premieres. They'll you'll be limited to whatever theater that they you know rented or whatever. And in the past, yeah, and that that like like Freddie was saying, in the past we'd have to trust that what we're doing in a lot of ways people just were like you know what it's not going to be as good as was in the room but we had our dream we lived our dream and the rest of the audience may not be as important (laughs) you know for the screener it's a lot of actors and stuff and they just won't see the glory because they didn't pay for the room with you in the initial grade but that changes you know being able to do this because it's something that you can set your target and execute see it right there in the room really and map it you know and um and so what we did with you for um it was in from the cold for netflix um it looked fantastic i mean honestly like freddie was saying looked just like the uh the grade here how do you guys feel then you know some colors will say oh i don't watch my stuff on tv i've already watched the show but i mean how do you guys feel about the Dolby Vision consumer experience then, your stuff translating to an iPhone 14 or a LG home TV. I've been happy with it. it, Things I see at home look like what I see here. You know, and again, I'm on an LG at home. I remember on on Fire Chasers, which was the first time, again, first ever unscripted show for Netflix, first HDR show I did, and I was just like, Mm, hopefully this works. It was great in the bay and the trim looked right. I think we're good. It's, you know, and my wife had a TV at the time. She had gotten from FedEx points. So let's just say it wasn't the highest uh, grade. And I was like, all right, let me just try here first because this can only be like the biggest bummer and like turned it on. And I was like, play. And I was like, it works. Like, and it just like looked incredible. And, and since, you know, I always check it on everything when I get a show, I do have some kind of Dolby Vision TV at home. I don't know if it's the Sony something, um, but it really is like, it looks like it does in the Bay. It's it's pretty impressive. And it's especially like the iPads, the the phones, like it's, I mean, you can even like hold it up to the, to the X300 and you're like, all right, cool. Yeah, that's how it looks. And I, it's very reassuring and it's just... Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. I, I had a DP on on Toscana um, who was like used to doing SDR pro- projects only with Danish colorists, I assume, or whatever. And he was like, he called me after it went live, and he's like, Freddie, how is it that this project looks the same everywhere? I've never tried that before. And I was like, well, it's a you know power of Dolby Vision, and you know modesty also how to use it. Uh, and he was just like, he was like, I've never seen a project looks similar across every platform. I'm like, well, so there you go. See, I wish I could join the club and say that, you know, hey, I got this bitch and display at home that's, you know, Dolby ready and whatnot. I, I'm still using a plasma. Wow. And I will say, wow. And I will say to the testament of what Freddie was saying, my shows that I grade here, even on the glass here, you know, OLED and, and you know, these type of displays, it still holds up on a plasma. It actually looks fantastic. It adds like that extra bit of soft in the black where you get a little less of that stair step black that you get from, a, you know, an LED display. You get that rich plasma, deep plasma black. Looks fantastic. So here's the thing. For me, 
like we used to say in the old days too, like just SDR, you graded on like a professional Sony mastering display and you'd go home on your crap, whatever, $200, you know, Best Buy special. And you couldn't, even if you, you dug deep into your pockets and bought the best monitor you could buy, SDR never looked good at home. It didn't, at least if you compared it to like a professional display. And what's happened is as technology got better and better, the, the consumer displays got better and better. And in my opinion, we maxed out on the plasmas. I still don't think that there's a home display that looks absolutely like that fantastic. I, I don't think your plasma is going to last much longer, Tony. And I think that's why Tony's so jaded is he's looking at an old plasma that has all that noise in the black. Well, no, that's the funny part about it is because I know that day's coming and I have my displays here at work. So basically I've gotten to the point where I trust what I'm seeing here. I have, you know, this, this technically it's a prosumer the LGs were using. And so really I'm seeing that like what I would see at home. I just... I feel like I'm I'm still waiting for that next step in technology where I have and maybe Paul can uh, can lead me in the right direction. I think we're going to start a GoFundMe page or something's going to happen here for Tony. Yeah, somebody's got to help Tony out. He's going to go drive his Yugo to go pick up a new TV. <laughs> okay, so I first of all I want to say you guys are amazing. This has been a ton of fun, but let's just we'll go around the room one time. Any sort of topics or final points that you think are worth, uh, you know, it could be advice for a first-time filmmaker or, you know, a colorist embarking on HDR. It just could be your general impressions about Dolby Vision or where we're headed, um, anything. Well, I kind of touched on it earlier, like I was saying, is just if you're an experienced filmmaker, um, have an open mind. And I'll say that same thing to an experienced colorist. Have an open mind when doing this because we've all have our experiences going into this and new technology sometimes causes change, you know, and the way we do things and the, and even creatively. So, so really that's just my, my piece of advice for everybody is just uh, go at this like something new. And I've been really happy with, you know, and like I said, I've had jobs where we've come in and, and the filmmakers have, have have felt like they really don't like that look. And after us discussing it and doing a pass, and like I said, doing a per scene SDR grade, really coming around. And I always, like Freddie was saying, my main goal here is that people leave happy. And not just happy, it needs to be that the product, they're here to elevate their project. So it has to be elevated. So I always, even if I do get somebody in the room that has one opinion of HDR when they came in, and let's say they did go the way of embracing Dolby Vision HDR, when they leave, I still say the same thing. I say, did you get what you need? Because I'm completely happy to go in a different direction or, like, you know, change the way we approach because, you know, this is your project. And I won't say most of the time, all the time, people, you know, are like, no, I think this is you know, this is, we're heading in the right direction here. So anyway, that's my two cents on the matter. I would say, um, just remember, you're still telling the story just because it's HDR and you have all this range. Doesn't mean you have to always, you know, brighten up the show so you can see inside. Um, you know, just remember, you know, you still are trying to help the, the storytellers tell what they're, what they want 
want to convey. And uh, another super important thing is always analyze what you've color corrected. Don't ever analyze what you were given. I've seen people do that. And, um, you know, it just, it's not a good idea. You want to basically do your color correction, then analyze. That's super important. You're basically saying, don't try to trick the analyzation. More of a, don't try to save a step thinking that, you know what, I want to just get rolling where my SDR, HDR will both work. So I've seen it. I don't know that it happens here, but I have seen it in, in the industry where there's been people who will get like the raw image and just analyze the show or have their assist do it just so that when they start off, they can have SDR, HDR. And, and they, they think that the SDR is looking fine, so it's all good. Well, what happens is when you go downstream and you look at a 600-nit trim, it's all screwed up. Especially all realize again after your trim grade. Because its calculation off the image is wrong. So that's that's like super important. And you probably could speak more to that than I could about techn technologically why it's important that it knows what the min and max really is and, and midpoint. Again, I'm super grateful that the three of you are, you know, you're professionals, top professionals in your field and that you you've done enough work and you've lived in this realm of having to deliver HDR and SDR and you do Dolby Vision the right way. You're, you really do follow the best practices and you get a great result. And it kind of cuts through all the noise out there of other people like, oh, no, I don't do that. I analyze a chart or I do some other thing because the Dolby Vision thing doesn't work for me or I don't want to work that way. And so to me, I think the takeaway is you, you absolutely can do it right and get get a great result. And to Paul's point, you know, don't try to cheat it or be lazy and analyze raw images or ungraded images or charts or things like that. Please don't ever paste analysis, especially random. Now I've heard of people using just a analysis they have stored in like a, in like a gallery and they literally paste a generic analysis on the show without even analyzing. They literally put a base analysis on everything because it will not track through the 600 nit, 300, 200 nit. It won't go through, map through. It might look okay on the 100 nit display, but your metadata is gonna be essentially corrupt. Your point is, Tony, you're only looking at it at one target and all the Dolby Vision, there's 1.5 billion Dolby Vision devices out there. They might be 200 nits, 600 nits, 800 nits, 400 nits they may be wrong. Yeah, and the analysis that you pasted might look okay in 100 nit, but the mapping and all the other ones could completely be off. You got to think further than the 100 nit. I, I got a call from somebody in this industry at another facility and said, we don't understand. As soon as we look at the Dolby Vision Pass in, 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 in 600 nit, the image gets screwed up. And I said, well, double check that the analysis was right. And the person said, what? Are you kidding me? What do you mean? And I said, well, it's up to us to make sure it's right. Check it. And he did, and it was all screwed up, and it, it caused the image to get, like, really bad. It, I mean, it was a terrible analysis that it, it screwed it up where it, it really did. It messed it up. Great, great advice. I think there's one thing we actually haven't even said for the, like, maybe first-time user. HDR is not a button in your grading system. HDR is dis display-dependent. So normally if I have... 
first time users, I will switch the X300 to SDR to show what the image actually looks like. And that's it's the display that, you know, it's this display dependent, dependent uh, and which is a, an important thing. You can't just like, it's not like, a, it's not a magic bullet button you just press on. Um, and I think like, take the time if you're doing this to educate yourself and look at it and have your colorist, if you're a filmmaker, to explain this to you. And if you're a colorist that is not sure about this, educate yourself um, and like understand what this really is. You know, that at least to me is what made me understand the process. And, and I was happy to, I was lucky to have some good teachers when I first started and like um, that could talk me through the process and AB is an excellent teacher also and you know I did my training with him and from Dolby and you know very helpful. Shout out to AB so we we have the Dolby Vision you know certified training course now again it doesn't teach you everything about grading in HDR it obviously focuses on the Dolby Vision part but it is a good foundation to add to your arsenal as you go down this and, and it, it's pretty affordable. It's $400 for the colorist. It's roughly eight hours of training. And I know you guys, you get to spend a little bit more quality time with AB since we're so close here in Los Angeles. He does the America's led training, but um, yeah, it's a good point. Very, very helpful. Yeah. He's a, he's a fantastic teacher. So I highly recommend doing that. He's great support. If I run into a situation working on a show with like some studio or delivery, you know, QC company or whatever, and I feel they're wrong. I'll run it by him. And and there's been many times where he's been like, yeah, no, I think what you're doing is right. And then he'll get involved and actually the, the their practice will change. I just want to say you guys are fantastic. I'm, you know, I'm grateful for the relationship we have with Picture Shop and with you guys specifically as well. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your knowledge. You guys are amazing. And, you know, be sure to check out the shows that these guys are working on their they're also fantastic. So thank, Tom. thank you. Great. Thank thanks you so Tom. much. Many thanks to my colleague, Tom Graham and his guests, Tony, Paul, and Frederick for joining us on the podcast today. And an extra special thanks to our friends at Picture Shop for giving us a little peek into their facilities. As I mentioned up top, this is the second installment of our conversations with colorists. If you'd like to check out episode one, you can find a link to that video in our show notes. And if you'd like even more conversations with artists and filmmakers about how they use technology to tell their stories, please be sure you are subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms, including the video version on YouTube and our show notes. Or you can simply search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you'll find information about all of our programs, you can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry, with additional editing by Matt Nixon. Thank you for listening.